Podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome, and also with us today, podcast super special guest host Nick Offerman. Nick, welcome. Greetings, and listen to this incredible sound quality <laughs> that right, we're enjoying. So, so I have to set the scene because this is this is pure nonsense that we are getting to do this. We are sitting in the historic WGN television booth overlooking. Wrigley Field. Uh, we are with real microphones. That that part is even more astonishing than anything else. Uh, we are watching people work the field. We had a little rain last night. It's Sunday morning. We had a little rain last night, so they're working the field, getting it ready to go, watching Chicago wake up. Mike, how did we get here? Uh, this is stupid. This is very stupid. <laughs> um, to further set the scene, Nick is sitting in Harry Carey's old chair. Yes. Mm, that's hey. what's happening. In Let a me hear you. Also, it should be noted that this is the anti-penultimate game that WGN will ever broadcast of for the Cubs. Their their agreement to broadcast Cub games is ending at the end of this year. Seventy-two years. Seventy-two oh straight God. years, and so we're here for uh, before the the second to last, third to last, I guess, game that they're ever going to broadcast. And uh, this is honestly like having us do a podcast at NASA. Before they sent the, the, the Apollo uh, up for the moon, it's arguably stupider because <laughs> that 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 could be, happen if like you if you won a contest or something. But this right. seems to have occurred due to uh, uh, WGN employee and podcast listener Bob Warwall just deciding that this would be a good idea <laughs> and inviting us here. Yeah, this this seems more impossible this, yeah. in, infinitely yeah. than the NASA thing. Yeah, maybe yeah. so. Maybe so. It is it is truly truly insane. So, because we have uh, official equipment because we are in this hallowed uh, television booth, uh, we're going to do a little different podcast. We're not going to do our typical stupid segments. We're going to do non-typical stupid Things. All new stupid segments. <laughs> it's a brand new stupid segment podcast. Uh, and we are going to begin. Well, I guess you actually have, have yeah, something to talk the, about before the, we begin. The first thing we have to do is uh, yell at Joe because uh, <laughs> yesterday we did a podcast that lasted a mere two hours. Two hours. And, and uh, <laughs> one of the most important aspects of that podcast was discussing this uh, Homer sheet this uh, that Joe has created that updates every the, the number of major league players who have hit at least every number of home runs uh, so the number of guys who have hit at least one homer two three four all the way up to 50 and i've gotten obsessed with this and uh it joe updates it every morning and if he doesn't update it like by the time i wake up i email him and yell at him because uh, i'm so excited about it and uh, every number from three to 16 was a record already a uh, record for a number of guys who have hit that many home runs. There were also 27, 26 through 29 were records. And the fun of this and the reason that it's very addictive to follow along is because when the record was tied, uh, the column went yellow. And so now I'm watching, we spent the whole game yesterday wa- like looking around the league for other homers, uh, people, oh, someone hit his 27th, someone hit his 19th, whatever. And uh, and getting excited about the idea that the column would turn yellow. Big I guess deal. it's the row would turn yellow. The whole row would turn. The row would turn yellow. yellow. Yeah. So last night, overnight, <laughs> uh, in a, like a weird late night coup, yep. Joe unilaterally decides he's changing the way this 
spreadsheet works. So now it doesn't go yellow when the record is tied. (laughs) It only goes yellow when the record is broken, which meant that columns uh, rows 2, 14, and 26 all went backwards. They unyellowed themselves. And like, imagine you're me and you are living for every day for a new row to become yellow and you wake up and three of them are white again (laughs) because the record has only been tied and not set and this morning i yelled at joe at breakfast and said what are you doing you monster and he said well uh what are you gonna do i think it's important that there's a difference between when the record is tied and when the record is broken and i said then make it go yellow when they're tied and green when it's broken and he went oh yeah i guess i could have done that too which I is st- not st- a no. good excuse. I still could do that. I could change. No, it. it's I too can... late now. Okay, now Ch- well, changing Homer Homer chart horses midstream <laughs> will traumatize <laughs> at least two of us sitting in this booth. I mean, it is one of the craziest things you've ever done. <laughs> I don't. I literally don't understand. Well, You're here's a wild man. Here, here's 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 how it came about. Like anybody cares. Um, two got tied yesterday. So two home runs. Uh, got officially tied yesterday. So now there are 457 players who have hit two or more home runs uh, this year, and that is the record, which was set in 2017. And I, I started to do my usual thing where I would yellow, and I thought, you know, it's not really – it doesn't really go yellow. It's, it didn't break the record. It only tied the record. It does, it's, not, it's not good. So I said, okay, I am making the clearly mathematically solid decision – to, to change the rule. And then I realized, as I did that, that there were others that I had already made yellow that, that were tied. And I thought, if I go back on these, Mike is going to really be mad and he's going to yell at me. So I kind of rooted for somebody to have hit that number of home runs so that those records could be broken. Uh, but yesterday, this is actually a little weird thing, we had one of the uh, like least homer days of the year. Yeah. Five different games had zero home runs, which I believe you probably – I don't know if that's happened all year, where there have been five different games in 2019 where nobody hit home runs. So, Which, those, by the way, how bananas is it that that should be anomalous at I know. All? Yeah. I know. That used to be like an everyday occurrence. Yeah. By, there, there used to be five games where someone hit a home run. Right. <laughs> that's right. So it's so strange. But anyway, I made that decision, and I'm standing by it. It's a terrible decision. It's one of the worst decisions you've ever made. Uh, this weekend is ruined. It really is. Uh, this has been great until until I woke up this morning. Everything was great, and now I wish this none of this had ever happened. So my question is, first of all, you have editing privileges. You could just go in and make them yellow. I might do that. Uh, uh, well, I might go to my yellow and green uh, scenario. Uh, scenario. I like the yellow green scenario, actually. Yeah. Here's my question. Do I need to share... This like I can share like the link to this so that any podcast listener who wants to see this chart. Yes, of course it. you should. I was going to suggest that a long time ago, but we but you didn't. Uh, but I didn't. I just make sure you don't share it with editing privileges because <laughs> generally speaking, you don't want to open up. We'll turn it into a to Wikipedia the, page the where internet. people are going to use it just to insult us. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I'll, I will. So you can go to my. Uh, okay, for, here's what's going to happen though. First, we're going to change this monstrous, uh, <laughs> this horrible, uh, calamitous. Situation to its rightful yellow color green. scheme. Yellow green. We'll All right. Go I'll yellow do that. green, uh, and we'll then and then we'll share it on our Twitter feeds, and people can follow along for the last two weeks of the yes, season. Yes, because there's All plenty right. plenty to see before the year runs out. There's a what whole a bunch. wild ride a it's going to be. Oh, it's going to be <laughs> <laughs> madness. Is what it's going to be. Pure madness. All right. And so uh, here's here's the thing. We are hoping 
uh, by the end of the show to be joined by uh, outstanding uh, former Major League Baseball pitcher Ryan Dempster. We're hoping to uh, to be joined by him. So uh, when he comes, we have we have to prepare. Right. Are we prepared? No. For when Ryan Dempster comes? No, of course we're not, and we shouldn't be. I'm ready. I, <laughs> I, I did my. I stretched out. Nick did some uh, Ryan Dempster based research. You last did night. do some research. Are yeah. you guys talking about two time All Star Ryan Dempster? <laughs> <laughs> we, we are talking about two time All Star. Nick, does, does Ryan Dempster rank anywhere in the top 100 major leaguers in terms of all time strikeouts by a pitcher? Funny you should ask, Michael. <laughs> he, I believe, has one more career strikeout than Dodger Phenom Fernando Valenzuela. How about that? Bringing him in at number 75 on the list of all-time career strikeouts. Is he, I believe, I, I don't know this, but I mean, you look this up. Is he not also among the top 150 in career hit by pitches? I believe he might be number 120th, <laughs> if memory serves, uh, coming in with 91 hit by pitches. There's no way he um, is in the top 200 of career wild pitches, though, right? Uh, no, I think you might be wrong there, Mike. I think he <laughs> might be holding down number 199. How about that? He just snuck in there to the just, top 200. Just barely made it in. The That's amazing. The crazy thing about his hit-by-pitch stat is he has 91, but 78 of them are Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really, really amazing. He's actually... No, wait a minute. Wasn't he a reliever at some point? Didn't he actually, uh, like, he, he saved some games, didn't he? He did. He, crazily, uh, he has, I, I don't know, somewhere between 86 and 88 career saves, <laughs> uh, which seems like a low number, but it has him at 192nd wow. in, in all-time career saves. This I do happen to know he's, uh, he's the only Cub and only uh, one of only three Major league ball players to have started a game and get thirty saves in one season. That's incredible. That actually is incredible. That stat is going to change dramatically, though, right? Because now with openers, there will be a bunch of guys who but end. You still up have to get that thirty saves. Yeah, that's true. I guess few people get thirty saves at all. I guess yeah. you, if you ever started your closer, but I mean, you wouldn't get a win, right? You have still have to go five games. To oh, get you have a to win. get a win yeah. in order to the, to. to start uh, I thought it was just to start to win a game as a starter, or just to start. I a think game? just to start a game. Oh, just yeah, start yeah. a game. Okay, yeah, that could happen. I guess you could start, but you really wouldn't start your closer in that opening in that opener spot, right? I mean, that's not tends to be the opener. Yeah, tends probably to be like not. your fourth or fifth best reliever or whatever. Anyway, fascinating stuff. So, so, so Nick Offerman is a font of uh, Ryan Dempster information, and we'll be able to share a lot more of that with Ryan when he joins us. Um, what are the chances Ryan Dempster shows up today? I'd say one in seven. <laughs> what, what, here's the better question. If you were Ryan Dempster, what are the chances you would show up? Zero. <laughs> Why no. would I do that? It's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually a beautiful day out right now. It's uh, slightly cloudy, but the sun's peeking through. Gorgeous. A, a nice breeze coming off the lake. And, as, and because last night the Brewers beat the Cardinals, we're coming into today's action the Cubs are a game up on the Brewers and only three back of the St. Louis Cardinals crazy. for the NL Central yeah. crown. And, and you know, we, we were discussing yesterday that the, the what do you want as a Cubs fan, right? Yeah. You, you wanna, do you want to go for it all and try to catch the Cardinals with the chance of, of potentially losing out to the Brewers in the, for the last wild card? Uh, or do, would you rather just, uh, I'd rather just clinch a wild card and not even worry about the division. But 
the point you made is there's seven games left between the Cardinals and the Cubs. Yeah. yeah. If you're a Cubs fan, you have to root for the for the title. I think you do. You I think you do. Absolutely. You can't hold back on that. All right. So what we're going to do until Ryan Dempster joins us, assuming that ever happens, is we uh, opened it up to some questions. Great. You guys up for some questions? I love I love questions. It love should be noted, too, that um, we talked for two hours yesterday about nothing. Right. And then we basically went to dinner... <laughs> Uh, and, and then went to sleep, and now we're back. So there's literally nothing new has happened yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> between but, the time we talked last but how and do now. But how do we talk at dinner for an hour and a half about nothing? Well, uh, so we went to dinner with, with Bob Vorwald and Max Berman, uh, who are the two gentlemen who have arranged this whole uh, experience for us. And it was just five dudes sitting around telling stories about uh, how we Proposed. got engaged to our uh, fiancés and wives. That's, you know, I sports, mean, if, sports if talk. That's, if that's not the cliche of guys, I yeah. don't know what is. Just a guy's weekend. <laughs> just just guys sitting around talk. telling long, discursive stories about the romantic ways that we proposed. I think they call that a Rockford, Illinois stag party. <laughs> There, there was a plate of shishito peppers. There was. I mean, it, it was. There was. No, it was not an evening without spice. That was also in classic guys' weekend uh, fashion. We had to find a restaurant that could accommodate my vegetarian palate. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, to, to Mike's credit, Mike was more than willing. In fact, several times asked to go to the barbecue joint. I want. I said, I'll, I'll find something. I only want people to enjoy themselves. No, no. And uh, I was would have been a happy. There would have been a salad I could have eaten at the barbecue no. place. No. We can't do that. We're not doing that. All right. By the way, as of right now, uh, the wind is very strongly blowing out here at Wrigley Field. Oh, we could have a blast this, today. This game, this <laughs> game might be insane. Yeah. We want it to be insane. We won. Like, yeah. This is, this, is, this is the anti-penultimate the game. WGN game. game. We, That's we right. need this thing to be uh, an absolute crazy game. All right. By the way, before we do that, percentage chances that we see a fight today. Oh, they're oh, very high. Very yeah. high, because there were six wild, uh, six hit, six by, hit six by pitches yesterday. Pitches I'd yesterday. say it's in the upper 80s. Upper 80s, right? Yeah. 88% chance of, of fisticuffs. <laughs> well, especially in this uh, era of the opener, you might imagine that the Cubs... Well, the Cubs are starting Quintana, right? So they, yeah. they probably won't do it. But if if it is a 12-1 to 1 game or something in the sixth like it was yesterday... Uh, Quintana's coming out of the game. Someone, some, some poor guy who was in AAA last year is coming into the game, and that guy's throwing one pitch and then getting tossed. That's what's going to happen. Well, the, the question is, how committed are you, sir? <laughs> I understand what he's saying, this gentleman, because the Red Sox run of success uh, has been formidable. Formidable, and, and uh, they are they have a, they, I think they have the largest payroll in the league. If not, it's in the, it's certainly in the top two, or right? Three. But you're talking about that's since like that's the last 15 years. The right. Yankees have done this for a hundred and something years. Um, we're closing in on basically the hundredth year, the hundredth consecutive year. The Yankees also have haven't lost. They've won 90 games. What is it? 15 out of 18 years yeah, or something like they, that. They've had a losing record. They since. never. They never yeah. have a losing record ever. They uh, they still are the uh, the dominant force. It's like like. Liverpool is, uh, is has opened their Premier League season on a on a crazy run. They're five and zero, and uh, Man City lost yesterday to Norwich, which is delightful. Um, but it doesn't matter because <laughs> be, uh, like Manchester United is still the most hateful team right. in the Premier League because that they're Manchester United, and that will always be true. So 
you can I get what you're saying, Josh. and I understand, Josh, <laughs> uh, that that it's fine to hate the Red Sox. They're a giant payroll team with a ton of resources who have had a lot of success recently. That doesn't make them the Yankees. There's still a fundamental difference between every team, frankly, and the Yankees. Can I ask a quick question, Mike? Please, just to substantiate your case, uh, did the Red Sox recently win uh, a championship? They did. Um, and is their record this year uh, not currently seventy-eight and seventy? That's right. I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I think the, that's the Yankees not. would never do that. Yeah, the Yankees would not do that. Yankees would fire their general manager ten months after you won the World Series, though. That that, that they would do. That that is something they would do. Uh, Andy has a question, probably pretty specifically for Nick. <clears throat> I think actually very important question uh, to ask. In the famous children's song, Bingo, sure. is Bingo the farmer or the dog? There was a farmer, had a dog, and Bingo was his name-o. Uh, <laughs> Bingo is clearly the name of the dog. I think that's right. Yeah. But you could say his name-o could he, be... The only one that we know is male in this case is the farmer. If you, yeah, if you are <clears throat> a niggling grammatician... <laughs> Uh, then I suppose a case could be made. You're saying that would be a case where it's like, there was a farmer, Dash, who, by the way, had a dog. (laughs) dog. Just as a side note, this farmer had a dog. In addition, the farmer's name... But getting back to the farmer for a second, (laughs) the farmer's name was Bingo. Yeah, I don't think that's the case. No, I don't think so. I, I think that's probably right. But it's it's good to be curious and ask these questions. It's important. It's an important question. Greg wants to know which baseball player, current or former, this is for you, Mike, I guess for both of you, which baseball player, current or former, should be compared best to Jerry, Terry, Larry, Gary, Gurgich, and Gritch? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Jerry, this Nick can also weigh in here. Jerry, Terry, Larry, Gary, Gingrich, Gurgich was a, um, (laughs) the character played by Jim O'Hare on Parks and Recreation, and he was sort of a... Uh, he he was described by Nick's character Ron Swanson as both the Schlemiel and the Schlemazel, right? He's both the guy who spills the soup and the guy who has the soup spilled on him. But but and importantly, he had probably the best life of any, any of the characters oh, yeah. on the show. He was yeah. married to Christy Brinkley. He had three beautiful, high achieving daughters who loved him very much. They had the happiest family. He, in the uh, spoiler alert, he lived to be 100 years old. He died peacefully in his sleep on his 100th birthday, holding the hand of the woman that he loved who had been married. It would never age. It would never age a day. He, um, was, he was hung like a, the very Bud, Budweiser Clydesdales. True. So we're, what we're looking for is a, uh, is a baseball player who maybe gets made fun of a lot for... Perhaps being uh, portly would be one way he could be made fun yeah. of, or just uh, clumsy or silly or something. But who actually had a wonderful career? Right. I wonder who that is. Like, um, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, who are the who are the like? I mean, Don Zimmer maybe is a candidate sort of. Yeah, but um, did Don Zimmer really have he that had good a, of he had a different thing yeah, going? He had a whole different. Kind of thing. Oh, it's, like John Crock or something? Like, uh, well, John Crock's had a good life. Yeah, he's had a good life of, that just uh, mysteriously keeps getting better <laughs> <laughs> for no for no apparent reason. <laughs> uh, I don't know who else is even possible. David Wells? No, that does that's not right. So he has to be portly. 
I think I think that's part of this. Yes, right. is the, it because any any baseball player who's like studly and and very fit and muscular, like that's not gonna that's not what you want. You want a guy who doesn't look the part, right. Of a stud athlete. But but then maybe uh, but then maybe leads the league in home runs. Or yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What about like I, Matt Stairs? Matt yeah, Stairs, right. Matt, Matt Stairs, Stairs could be like a. Yeah, Matt like, Stairs is a good uh, I think idea. Like had a pretty pretty good life. And he has the all. Doesn't he have the all time pinch hit home run record? <laughs> yeah, I think he does. So that's, so that's like a weird Jerry <laughs> yeah, type thing seems, to have. Yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> all right, let's go with Matt Stairs. The answer definitively is Matt Stairs. Matt Stairs. Sean wants to know. Uh, this is uh, pretty specifically to Mike and me. Brett Gardner has twenty five homers and four hundred and fifty at bats. More of a statement than a question. God damn it. There's my <laughs> statement. He's like second on that team in homers. It's it's nuts. He like it's a, nuts. it is wild. And they're gonna they're gonna break their own record. They already have broken their own record, but they're gonna end the year with the record, right? They're, I think they're probably gonna out homer the twins the rest of the way. Oh yeah, they're they're, they're gonna get them and, with that record. Uh, and they're gonna and Gliber Torres is gonna lead the team. Gliber Torres, former Chicago Cub, traded to the Yankees for two months of Aroldis Chapman. Uh and, and then and then what happened then, after that? Uh, I can't remember. Oh wait, I do remember. They just signed him as a free agent. <laughs> and he went back to the Yankees. Yeah. But the um, th- but he's going to lead the league. He's going to lead the team with like whatever call it forty. And Gardner's going to be second. Brett, yeah. Gard- he, Brett Gardner stinks. How does Brett Gardner have <laughs> is second on that team in home runs? Because Judge, well, Judge might pass. Gardner he might pass him because Judge he's is hitting home he's, runs every minute. That's right. So he might pass him. But on a team with that much firepower, Gardner is second on the team in home runs. No, it's heartbreaking. It's crazy. Yeah, it's no good. All right, uh, our dear friend uh, from uh, from England, um, Alan Clements, uh, wants us to, to. I don't even know that there's really a specific question. I think he just wants us to appreciate the year that uh, Arizona's Tim LaCastro is having. Tim LaCastro is hitting 250 uh, with no power. He's had 224 at bats. He's hitting 250 with no power. He doesn't walk, and yet he has a 363 on base percentage because. Tim LaCastro, uh, despite only walking 13 times, has been hit by pitch 21 <laughs> oh, times. Oh, my God. <laughs> 21 hit by pitches. Uh, he gets hit thir- every 10 plate appearances. <laughs> That's insane. So That's, the question... He, he's out rizzo Rizzo. Yeah. So his question is, how much war is getting hit by pitch worth? The same as a walk, I Well, assume, that's the thing. Right? For him, I, I think it's, it's like he's... That is that's got to be a record. Nobody's ever been hit. It's the half Baylor. Yeah, <laughs> no one's ever been hit every ten plate appearances. Yeah, Tim LaCastro clearly is coming in. Uh, Good work, Tim LaCastro. <laughs> well, well, well. Nick, do you have an announcement? A uh, a very charismatic hedgehog has snuck into the chair <laughs> next to me. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Mr. Dempster, and welcome. Welcome. Ryan Dempster here with us. Ryan, we were going over some of your stats a little bit earlier. Very exciting Thank stuff. Thank you. Thanks for uh, joining. It was tough to sit and finish my career as an 099 hitter. Oh, you know, oh, we didn't even notice that. Well, thank you for not pointing that out. I guess I brought that upon myself, but um, yeah, it's it's one that I don't like to brag about very much, but I will throw it out there. One hit away from the one hundred. What what? Yeah. Uh, how many how many hits were stolen from you in your career? Uh, a few, quite a few. You know, um, by my legs not being able to beat out those <laughs> infield singles. <laughs> so you stole them from yourself, really? Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Poor genetics. You know. However, 75th all-time in strikeouts, as Nick Offerman pointed out today. So that's, that's quite impressive. Thanks. Yeah, you know, when you're playing, you don't think about those things. You're just playing. Um, and then you get done, and uh, 
and then you see something like that, it's like, wow, you know. I think what what it tells me is that I was fortunate enough to have a career in baseball yeah. and not just a job for a few years. I got to do it for a long time. And when you do things for a long time, you can accumulate some stats. Yeah, you're but getting back to your hitting for a second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The, mm-hmm. you, you have one postseason hit for these very Chicago Cubs in the 2008 NLDS against the Dodgers. You were one for two. What was that hit? Do you remember? It was a, a line drive base hit off of Derek Lowe. Really? Wow. Yeah. That was, uh, we didn't, as, as a team, we really struggled uh, offensively. I tried to do my best. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, that's, that's pr- pretty neat. As a kid growing up and especially being a pitcher in the big leagues, to be a 500 hitter in the postseason is is pretty cool. But to be clear, you weren't a 500 hitter in the postseason. <laughs> in that postseason, <laughs> I was. Yeah. Those, Actually, wait, no, you were because you did, that was the you only had two at bats, mm-hmm. and that were the, the, in that game you were one for two. So you didn't hit in any other game because you were probably closing in 07, right? 07 closing, and then with the Red Sox, I was pitching out of the bullpen as well. Right. All right, 500 hitter in the postseason. And and let's point out because because you know we should pay full respect to your hitting. You were a 100 hitter through 2010, so it was really your late career that <laughs> yeah. brought you just below the 100. That's mark. really when sabermetrics started to come in. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I I felt like I wasn't always matched up against the best pitcher. Well, also the but book on you was out at that point. Like exactly. the league, the league yeah. knew how to approach you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that'll knock you anything down. above 90 was you know past my swing speed. Say, I guess you can say. We, so can we say that if 200 is the Mendoza line, can we call 100 the Dempster line? It is the Dempster line. It is absolutely. I, like I mean, yes. once, once they started to shift on you, <laughs> you're, you're going to lo- lose lot. points. Yeah, and uh, to worry about pitching and changing my swing during the game is <laughs> things that. I couldn't do. Yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, that's really good. But you also, by the way, that, let's, let's, let's be fair. The year, you're probably your best year, 2008 was probably your best year. Mm-hmm. You led... The entire National League of sacrifice hit. So you were a good hitter. I, I could hand. I always believed. Yeah, bat. when I was young, coming up, I had a pitcher who told me that your sacrifice bunts kind of will fall within a few of your win total, which I thought was pretty interesting. And then that I started is. to look at it. I was like, oh, I had 15 sack bunts one year, and then I think I had 15 wins that year, and you know, 12 sack bunts and 12. It was like always within a couple. Um, you know, you're always going to have your your years that doesn't happen. So I took a lot of pride. Like spring training, first thing in the morning, 6 a.m. batting cage, just throw that thing at 100 and just get comfortable trying to be able to bunt. Wow! Um, it's because of, you, you keep yourself in ball games. You keep yourself in there longer. Get a guy over to second base. But that makes a lot of sense, and it you know it it makes a huge difference in the morale of the game. When a, when you're in that situation and you know a pitcher, you know, Kyle Hendricks was doing it yesterday, and you're like, oh, this, there's a good chance he will successfully bunt. We, know, we trust him to bunt. And then there's the pitchers that you're like, <laughs> no chance. So, yeah, just, just don't swing. <laughs> They're holding the bat on the wrong end, <laughs> yeah. you know. As a hitter, because we're going to focus mostly on your hitting here, <laughs> who was who the pitcher that you were the most scared to hit off of? Randy Johnson. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I remember actually speaking of sacrifice bunting or trying to. Um, I was with the Cincinnati Reds, and we were playing at Bank One Ballpark or Chase Field or Gila River Field or whatever it's called now. And I, I got the sacrifice. We magically got somebody on first base. I'm sure he probably hit somebody or something. <laughs> and Bob Boone asked me to bunt, and I squared around on the first pitch. And it looked like Randy just, like, like was right in front of me. You know, yeah. He's 6'10", and he's <laughs> sitting there. And it was just like, boom, 
And I was like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> and I looked at Damian Miller, who was the catcher, and I'm like, hey, Demo. And he goes, I know, right? That's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then right before the next pitch, he goes, wait till you see this. And it was like an 89-mile-an-hour slider that I missed by two oh. feet. And meanwhile, Randy's out there yelling at me. He's like, don't bunt. Why are you bunting? Swing the bat. I'm like, what? My, my manager's asking me to. You talk to him. So then I end up striking out, and I go back in the dugout, and Bob Boone goes, you got to get that down. Oh. So I took off my helmet and my batting gloves, and I handed them to him. I said, you give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, extremely intimidating guy to face. Wow. How I, many times would it take you to, like, how many pitches would Randy Johnson have to throw for you to get a bunt down? Me, Mike Sure. Yes, you, Mike Sure. Uh... It's a good question. I mean, I think if I if I saw a thousand pitches of his you in a row, in a row, where I was, his arm would get tired. Yeah, well, I would take the first hundred <laughs> and then like just watch, just get the timing down. Right. I'll bet it with a thousand pitches, I could foul one off as in the bunting position. I bet. I bet. If, I bet he, I if he threw a thousand pitches to you, he hit you long before you'd get a bunt down. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, I would be dead <laughs> <laughs> long before I had the chance. But I'll, I'll bet if because I'm thinking like if I had a thousand pitches in a in a batting cage that were throw. Right, right, right. He threw whatever he threw ninety seven. Ninety seven. But with like movement, yeah. I bet if I had if I sat there for a thousand pitches over the course of four hours, I could probably make contact in the bunting position. Not in yeah, no, swing. just pure bunt. Yeah. What do you think, Nick? I think I would take a knee and hold the barrel of the bat as near to the center of the strike zone as possible and shut my eyes. Yes. Yeah, right. And I'd say I'd get it in 30. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would be... It's a good strategy. Yeah. You know, eventually he's going to hit the bat. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you, you're going like full Jedi kind of, right? You're just, you're just kind of yeah, trusting that the universe will help him. you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very fun. All right, so we have questions for you, Ryan, and uh, the, we, we a couple of people. We're going to start with you, Nick, because I know you've got a couple of, of... Nick is sort of our Ryan Debster expert. Okay. Well, my legitimate question is, uh, across your career, you, you racked up great numbers, like you really, as you say, in, in the grand total, once you were all done, and they said, here... All right, you're hanging it up. Here's your, here's the numbers you put up. It's a it's a, an astonishing accomplishment. But I've always wondered in the case of someone like yourself who has succeeded both as a starter and very much coming out of the bullpen, what uh what did you prefer? What was your favorite thing to do? Yeah, I think my favorite thing was starting. Um you know, just I, I was a starter in high school. I started in the minor leagues. I started, you know, early on in my career in the big leagues, I made a couple of relief appearances just because I was a rookie, but I was always more comfortable in that role. Um, I love the adrenaline rush of closing. Like, there's, there's nothing like that in the game. Anybody who sits there and says, oh, you know, you hear the sabermetrics guys, and they're like, it's the same thing. You just The ninth inning is a whole different animal. You're going to get everybody's best at bat, you know, some guy could face somebody in the seventh inning and look terrible, and then all of a sudden he faces you in the ninth and he just grinds out in that bat because it's the it's the last chance. There's no shot clock. There's no the game's not going to run out until it's three outs. So it's it's intense in the crowd and you feed off that energy. Um, but it's also kind of a thankless job, and I'm not out there to get patted on the back and thank. But like 
you do your job for like two months straight and then you mess up one time and they tell you go to the parking lot and they're telling you to move back to Canada and, <laughs> you know oh yeah so it's it, it is hard but I really really enjoyed the starting and too I, I feel like if you look at teams that are successful um, you look at the teams that are the best teams in baseball right now they all have the best starting pitching you can't win without starting pitching so if you're a guy that does your job and makes 30 starts a year you're really really doing everything you can to help your team and I, and I think that's something I tried to do I always tried to make starts every time make my start every year pitch 200 innings because I felt like that was something extremely valuable and something that I could bring to the table how did how in 2008 did, did the starting thing happen again right because you've been a closer for, <laughs> for three yeah. years and and uh, and you know and and struggled a little bit in those seven and then you come in and, and start and have a fantastic year how, how did that even happen yeah it was actually this is a really great backstory because i i love <clears throat> lou, lou Pinella um for lots of different reasons but he was always a good character and so <clears throat> i'd blown a save in new york in 2007 and we're flying back on the plane and lou gets me to come up to the front you know like send somebody hey lou wants to talk to you so I get up there, I sit down next to him at the front of the plane, and uh, he says, hey, uh, Dempster, you, you like pitching, don't you? <laughs> and I was kind of like, yeah, you know, like, you know, he's seen my career hitting numbers, so yeah. <laughs> evidently I'm not a very good hitter. And he goes, no, no, like, you know what I mean, like, you're not a closer. You don't like just fireballing it, you like to pitch, set guys up. And when you're closing, you can't set guys up. And I was like, yeah, I, I, yeah, he goes, tell you what, I need somebody to close this weekend. And then I'm going to have you start. So I was like, sweet. So we played the White Sox that weekend. I was super fired up. I'm going to go back to the rotation, back to my roots. Sunday comes, you know, walk upstairs. Lou wants to see it. Perfect. Awesome. I walk in, and there's Jim Hendry and Randy Bush, our general manager and assistant general manager. And Lou goes, son, listen, I, I kind of jumped the gun. <laughs> <laughs> what? He goes, well, the problem is we don't have anybody else to close if I make you a starter. So you, you close the rest of the year, and I'll, I'll have you start at the beginning of next year. And he held true to that word. And, wow. I, you know, I worked really hard that offseason in 2007 going into 2008 because I knew I was going to need my legs and my core and to, to be able to go back and pitch 200 innings after not doing that for a while. So, um, yeah, it was a great opportunity and never, never looked back from it. First of all, great Lou Pinella. <laughs> That's yeah. a great that was Lou Pinella. Like, Lou Pinella. You just kind of slipped in. Under the uh, radar there, a very excellent Lou Pinella impression. <laughs> well done. Not since Jonathan Winters have I seen <laughs> Lou Pinella so masterfully rendered. Um, all right, th this is the part of this podcast where uh, it's, it's a new segment called Ryan Dempster Does Our Work For Us. So you have, you have I'm going to give you three options for a story to tell. You can pick whichever one you want to tell, okay? Uh, hitting A-Rod. Uh, the new talk show you're working on and touring with, or the day you were traded for Kyle Hendricks. Wow. And I you, get to you, pick, you, huh? Right, you can also you just tell, tell all three. three. Yeah, yeah I mean, oh, really okay. to tell all three. Because, again, well, this segment is called Ryan Dempster Does Our Work For Us. <laughs> yeah. There are three fish in a barrel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a shotgun. Here's a shotgun, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll start with the, the, um, the, the first easy one. The, the new talk show is Off the Mound. Uh, it was kind of just my idea of um, being on enough bus rides and plane rides and clubhouses and hotel rooms where we sit around and have cold ones and 
talk the game and talk life and you, you kind of really get to know the, the players as individuals. So I thought, well, we should try and do this, um, you know, on a on an interview format. And uh, I found a band, uh, a buddy of mine that played in a band in uh, the Hemispheres, and we kind of turned it into a late night talk show type show. And it's uh, it's been a lot of fun and the guests really love it. So we did we do them kind of as uh, benefits as well. So uh, we just did one for the Special Olympics Illinois in July. That's awesome. Um, we're doing one for uh, an at-risk uh, teen center in Boston coming up September 28th. Uh, and then you get great guests, and they just sit up there and tell stories, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. So, um, and, and I think for, for them, as me as a player, uh, it, it disarms them a little because I've been in their seat. I, I know what it's like. Um, so I try not to ask them something too, you know, personal or uh, controversial. I stay away from that um, when it comes to the, the game. Sure. Personal life, for sure. If they're, <laughs> if they're fun or goofy or juggle or something like that, we'll get them up there, you know, flipping some swords or juggling balls. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's just come, just starting off, so hopefully it takes off. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun. People can check it out, offthemound.com. All right, and, so, and September 28th, Boston's the next September 28th, uh, last weekend of the year in Boston, Pedro Martinez, Johnny Gomes, uh, Mike O'Malley. Local uh, Boston guy, a um, lot of fun. Uh, Mike and I actually had a, a good experience after the Red Sox won the World Series. Um, I was on that team in 2013. And we went to the left field corner and uh, the, the, cor- the bar there, um, and we left there. It was like f- almost 4 in the morning. <laughs> and, you know, uh, came out and the lights were on at Fenway. And I'd had my family with me, my mom, my dad, aunts, uncles, brothers. And I was like, oh, we should go down the field and take pictures. And then we got down the field, and Mike had some buddies down there, and John Henry, the owner of the Red Sox, was down there. And I just had this weird thought in my head. I said, I should throw batting practice to everyone. That would be fun. So I went up to John Henry. I said, hey, John, you might want to leave for this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he's he really, okay, Ryan, sure. That sounds like a good idea. You know, here I am telling my boss and the owner to leave. And, and then I grabbed Pedroia's game bat and a bucket of balls and watched my mom hit line drives off me at <laughs> Fenway awesome. and Mike got that in there rules. and hit all. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. What a gas! So what a blast. Um, also, side note: great John Henry impression. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! This, yeah. He keeps like slipping these in, like he's just trying to uh, fool us. But but he does amazing impressions. Yeah, uh, I had him twice, so I was around him a lot. He was my uh, my owner in Florida. In Florida, right? Yeah, he painted a bus in Florida. They took this bus. And they, they put it uh, like uh, car- caricatures on the side. Me, Mike Lowell, uh, Cliff Floyd, Preston Will, a bunch of us. And then found me at my locker and, and felt bad. He felt the need to apologize because he didn't ask first, you know? Sure. And I, and I told him, you know, it's fine, John. I, this happens <laughs> a lot, you know? <laughs> so I'll let this one slide. I get it. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> Uh, all right, what's next? A-Rod or the trade for Kyle Hendricks? Uh, the trade for Kyle Hendricks was, uh, was fun. You know, I'd been wanting to go to L.A. I wanted to play for the Dodgers if I couldn't play for the Cubs. I wanted to stay in Chicago. But Theo and I, we had a lot of, like, honest conversations, even before the season started. Like, hey, Dem, listen, man, like, we're in a process of rebuilding here, and we really want to build up our future. And, you know, that might mean you get traded. And, you know, let's keep this open dialogue. And so... He was trying to get me to L.A. They didn't want to really give up much, and um, so it wasn't really panning out. And so the, I sat across the street um, in an office, uh, kind of two, two doors down from, like, their war room where they were going through trades, and then they would peek their head in, and they'd be like, you know, 
St. Louis? And I was like, oh, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Just mid-season. Like, you know, you, it's one thing as a free agent when they want you. I totally, like, I, I respect the Cardinals a ton and, and loved playing against them. But to accept that trade, it would have been tough to do. Uh, you know, then the Yankees. And I really liked my beard at the time. So that was out. <laughs> Also, uh, you're not a fascist, so you can't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't go play for the Yankees unless no. you're a, a card-carrying member of the American Fascist Party. Is that what? It, that's that, a, yeah, that's yeah. technically yeah. true. Yeah, that's you have to style. apply for that first. Uh, that was his yeah. first rule. That was that's one yeah. of the first rules. Yeah. And then it just kept going along, and then he, you know, it was getting closer and closer to the trade deadline, and and then it was like, hey, uh, we we like this package from Texas. Texas was in first place in the West, and um, I knew it was a great place to play from guys that I play with. So. Um, I said, yeah, it was great. And then, you know, Kyle Hendricks ends up being one of the pieces of the two guys and ends up, you know, doing what he's done here. And, um, you know, when you're a player, you want to, all I wanted to do was win a World Series here for the Chicago Cubs. So the second best thing <laughs> I feel like was to get traded, and the guy you get traded for starts Game 7 of the World Series and dominates. And then on top of it, he's a great human being, you know, and for – my 12 starts in Texas, the Cubs got 11 years control of Kyle Hendricks, so it was a, a good trade. That's, that's a, pretty good. Yeah, that's it, a I, good think, deal. I think it's a big question. Did you get a ring? I did, yeah. See? Yeah. That's, there you see, go. There you go. And yeah. then you got another ring with the Red Sox in 2013. Yeah. I mean, that rules. You have, you have World Series rings from the two franchises that when you started your career had gone the longest without winning the World Series. Yeah, it's good. There's not a lot of guys that do. We were, we were like a David Ross and, and Lackey, Lester, Eric Hinsky. Obviously, Theo and Jed and some other front office guys, but not a lot of guys. It's pretty, pretty special. When I, you know, have them both and I'm like, wow, man, like, it really sends chills. You know, when you put them oh, on, I'm amazing. like, oh, man, this is, and it's a great open table app. You know, <laughs> you just get a reservation for five anytime you want. You know? <laughs> a table anytime. All right. Before you tell uh, the, the A-Rod story, we, we, we have our own little segment that we said we were going to do, and I think we should just do it now, which okay. is. Each of us making our argument about why Ryan Dempster should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Right? So, so my argument, I'll start. My argument is three pitchers in baseball history have had 2,000 strikeouts, 75 wins, 75 saves. Okay? Three guys wow. in baseball history. John Smoltz, he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Dennis Eckersley, he's in the Hall of Fame. Ryan Dempster. All right? I, I, to me, that's... Slam dunk. End of segment. End of segment. What else do you need? I'll, I think that should be the definitive argument, really. But I'll add a couple things here. One is uh, three different years. Ryan Dempster uh, was in the top five in the uh, league in errors committed as a pitcher. <laughs> 2000, he was uh, committed four errors. That was good for second. Right. 2001, three errors. That was fifth. And then 2013, in a completely different league, uh, he three errors for, for second place. So... Across, like that's a 13-year span yeah. where this guy was in the top five in that category. Did not ever lead though in errors. Didn't lead, but like three top five finishes. You gotta respect that. It's, it's, it's worth a few. It's votes. Cooperstown worth. It's worth some Cooperstown voting. I would think so. How do you feel? About, I mean, is that did you did you feel because you were a good fielding pitcher actually? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of those come because of superior range. Mm. <laughs> that's exactly. You right. know, like guys make errors because they get the balls that other guys don't. Exactly. Get to, right? That's how I. How I sleep at night. <laughs> before before I offer my contribution uh, to your campaign, I have to ask: Did you did you ever um, you talked about receiving ninja training at one point? Did you ever uh, complete that course? Um, you know what? That was 
that's like almost like when you gra- or you don't graduate from college and you just say you're going to go back and finish it, but I just <laughs> never did. Um, so are you but like it was, three-quarter ninja? Yeah, like I'm like get right up behind you, but you'll hear me right right before I get there. <laughs> like eight feet, when you get within eight six, feet, six, six feet, feet okay. yeah. <laughs> Almost touching distance. Just about. You know. That's pretty good. That's also, I would say, like most people, though. That's about when you sense most people would be behind you. So, so you're saying that there's very little there's difference. There's very little difference between the amount of ninja that he <laughs> yeah, uses. Yeah, but <laughs> most people aren't wielding nunchaku. All right, fine. Yes. Or throwing stars. I feel like, yeah. you, I mean, how, the like, throwing stars were good though. That was really good training. If you look at thing. my my kind of control, sure. Like, as a younger player, I, I didn't have the best command and control. And after the throwing stars, way better walk way better. to strike out ratio. So, how many hours short are you of completing your ninja training? Twelve and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so close. Mm-hmm. It seems like you should get the half out of the way anyway, so that way you'll be like an even number. Of I away. feel like there should be like an app I can download to my phone, like, where I can do it mobily. Yeah, that would actually you know, be the, yeah, the sort of digital uh, yeah. ninja training. Like you know, it's like online university. You know, yeah, University of Phoenix yeah. Ninja course. Yes. Nick, Nick, I gotta believe you're a pretty close percentage to a full fledged ninja. I can't talk about my, <laughs> the degree of training I've had in uh, several mystic Oriental art forms. You actually were giving us. We we meant to mention this yesterday, but we only spoke for two and a half hours, so it didn't matter. But you are, and this is actually very true. You are fully trained in Kabuki theater, and you the, were explaining this to us yesterday, and it was actually. Quite fascinating. Yeah, the uh, the traditional Japanese theater style known as kabuki, which the, my fa- my favorite fact about it, which is rather sordid, is that a few hundred years ago during the Shogun Wars, uh, there were in, in the camps at night of the different armies, there would be prostitutes. Uh, I'm sorry to burst your bubble about the purity <laughs> of of the Japanese value system, but. The uh, the prostitutes would dress up and uh, act out these pageants, these theater pieces, making fun of the generals and you know doing these little shows, and they thought it was great fun. Well, then syphilis swept through these camps, mm. and the uh, the women had to be banned from the army camps. At which point, the soldiers who still needed to make love, you know, to remain healthy, uh, <laughs> fighting machines. <laughs> then adopted the young men in the companies, and not only uh, to, to stand in for the ladies in their beds, but they also made them perform the theater pieces. And so to this day, women are not allowed to perform in traditional kabuki, which is, that is crazily misogynist, that but is, a pretty fascinating history, you know? That is fascinating history. For why that came about. Yeah. So, so my, uh, I had a teacher in Champaign-Urbana at the University of Illinois who taught us. He was from, from Japan, from an arts family named Shozo Sato, and he was incredible. He, he taught us kabuki theater uh, in fully traditional style, and I ended up touring Japan and Hungary and did a show in Cyprus, a kabuki version of the Iliad called Kabuki Achilles. Um, and it was, it was a huge part of my life in the early 90s. I did kabuki plays here in Chicago, directed by him. Incredible. Yeah. You no were telling kidding. me the one thing that I, that I would love for you to share is the, uh, what people would, would shout uh, from, the, from the audience. Well, yeah, spe- seeing kabuki in, in Tokyo, uh, it, it's a day-long theater event. It's like, it's like an opera cycle where people come for seven or nine hours. They pack picnic lunches. 
So there's open eating and drinking up in the audience. And um, because of the sort of steep traditions, uh, the men who perform kabuki, generally your family comes to sort of own a role. So uh, uh, the Al Pacino and only, only his offspring could, could play uh, Scarface, you know. <laughs> and one of the traditions is um, if somebody does something great on stage, has like a home run moment, the, the audience will throw coins wrapped in white paper. They'll shower the stage in money, which the stagehands sweep up and put in a bucket and give it to you <laughs> after the show. Um, but also, because uh, roles are passed down from father to son and so forth, when you hit a great moment, the audience yells, You are better than your father! <laughs> <laughs> Which is, that's may maybe my favorite I thing. I love that Kabuki. so much. I would love to learn that in <laughs> Japanese and have like fans, like every time Vlad Jr. hits a home run. <laughs> yeah, totally. Kevin Digio <laughs> yeah, Kevin, goes deep. Boba Shed hits a triple. <laughs> you are, oh, I love that so it's much. It's also like just a massive like group therapy session. <laughs> it is. For, yeah, for, really is. for men who are insecure about how uh, about how they measure up to their dads. Absolutely. Did you, when you were taking that course, did you take to it right away and go, oh, or did you go, wow, what is this? But then ended up, because that, that's like a huge part of your, like you said, early career and like in the early 90s, going and doing that theater when you were just taking the class and all of a sudden that became so impactful. Well, um, fortunately, I mean, I was very much, I, I grew up in a sort of cultural vacuum, small town, an hour just past Joliet, an hour southwest of Wrigley Field. Um, the good thing was my cooler friends in the theater department freshman year said, you're not eligible till you're a sophomore, but next year the coolest class you can take is Kabuki Theater. Wow. It's like a Jedi training experience. And so I went into it know knowing it was going to be exotic and, and transformative. What we didn't know, it was his, his final year. He was retiring, and that's oh. why to celebrate his career there. That's why we toured the show to Japan, and it was, turned out to be very much the, the right year to get in the class. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. All right, Nick, you have to give your reason why why Ryan Dempster belongs in the Hall of Fame. I do have a reason, and I, and I again, this is uh, it's a unicorn reason. Uh, Ryan is the only Cub and only one of three major league players in history to start a game and record 30 saves in the same season. That's badass. That's that's impressive. You were incredibly versatile. You really were. That's not it. I mean, that's, you know, all being Thank all you. serious. You were an incredibly versatile pitcher, and that is not... We've seen it. We've seen, you know, look, Mariano Rivera, I mean, we don't know what would have happened otherwise. He was obviously great, but he was a failed starter. I mean, that did not work for him as a starter, and... and Trevor Hoffman, you know, was a failed hitter. And, you know, so to be able to do all of those different things, that, that does speak to, to your sort of your mental state when you took the mound. Yeah, I think probably my, that was one of my tools in the toolbox, if you want to say, was that I was willing to accept and go full force with whatever the team wanted. Um, you know, attitude's a choice, so... When they stick me in the bullpen, I could have chose to be upset about it or why am I not starting? Instead, I'm like, okay, if I just pitch well and help the team win, that's the most important thing. And then a byproduct of that would be like maybe I get another chance down the road to start. Um, and the same way later on in my career, 
Um, you know, even when I was with the Red Sox in 2013, I started all year. We had acquired Jake Peavy. So now we get to September. And I go in the manager's office, and he's like, hey, uh, you know, John Farrell's kind of dancing around. He doesn't want to hurt my feelings. And I kind of stopped him mid-conversation, mid-question, because I knew what he was trying to, like, say was the fact that I had experience in the bullpen. Jake didn't. We had Felix Dubrant, a young guy. He didn't. Will you go to the bullpen? I was like, hey, I just want to get on a duck boat and <laughs> go ride around in a parade and have fun. So I'll go to the bullpen. I can do this. And he was like, whoa. I go, yeah, this isn't a me moment. This is an us moment. And let's just move past it. Can I just do it for a little bit so I can get used to it? And they put me in the bullpen for the last couple of weeks so I get some relief appearances. And it worked out well. But I just believe in that. Listen, guys are paid a ton of money to play by somebody, by an employer. And I know we all have our egos and our feelings, but if you're, if you're out there, what does it matter what you're doing? If it's just about winning the game, that's all that matters. And if you're successful in whatever role it is, you'll continue to be allowed to play. It's awesome. All right, you have to tell the A-Rod story. This, we, we've been waiting all day yeah. for it. <laughs> um, wow. What a, you know, it was really a, kind of interesting how it all happened from where it originally came to fruit like the, the idea of it all started so when I signed with the Red Sox I was hanging out with my brothers back home in Vancouver and it was like hey you know what would be really great is the first time you face A-Rod at Fenway Park you should hit him <laughs> <laughs> like that's how that started how many brothers? Two. You know, and this smart guys. That is yeah. such what brothers are <laughs> saying, right? Isn't that yeah. exactly what brothers are saying? I love these guys. <laughs> and, and it was really, you know, just no, nothing more than that. And then for all of this to happen with the biogenesis stuff and all the steroid stuff, and then, you know, he gets suspended and then he's appealing it. And then it just happens that the first time he plays at Fenway Park, I'm starting on Sunday night baseball <laughs> with those very two brothers in town from my youngest brother's bachelor party. So now we're at Strega having dinner at, at the water, uh, what do they call that, the, the location there in, in Boston. Anyways, we're at Strega, Italian restaurant. At the and north end, in the north end? No, the, the waterfront one. Oh. And we're in this back room area and we're all having dinner. There's 13 guys. And my brother looks at me and goes, are you really going to do it? <laughs> And I said, well, yeah. I mean, now it now it's gotten past the point of just for the free beer for the rest I mean, of my it, life. Yeah, it's your bachelor party. Of yeah. course I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have some fun up in the stands. So, you know, with all the stuff and him suing the union and all this stuff, and it just became like that. This is for more than just free beer and for my buddies and this and for me. It's for a lot of people. So You didn't know this at the time, but it was also for me. For yeah. you. And, yeah, exactly. me. and for me. It was for me as well. Um, so then the idea was I don't want to hit somebody in the head. So I'm going to try and throw it like, you know, kind of in the rear end sure. area. Sure. There's a pretty good chance that muscle's all built up around there. And there's some scar <laughs> tissue in there. Um, and so I, I miss. And then I was like, okay. You missed in front of him or behind, behind him? Behind him. Behind him. And, and, you know, the crowd went nuts and everybody's going nuts. And, you know, you, you do the look on your hand like, I must need smooth. I lost a grip there. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody got any rosin yeah. or something? You know? <laughs> so then the next couple pitches, my whole idea was, is I'm not going to leave it all over the plate. Um, and I just noticed that he was wearing this elbow guard thing, you know, which is interesting that you would need that if you're on all of those steroids. <laughs> um, 
so I went for that and I missed and then I missed again but that was my aiming point and it wasn't like you know like I said I did, the last thing you don't want to do is hit somebody in the head and you know of course. and I'm not judge jury and executioner out there I'm not like you know the man who's in charge of discipline for MLB but I just then it got fun then I got 3-0 and I was like well nobody's going to expect it right now <laughs> and then it was just like wham and the best part is those guys that were on the bachelor party there's a a camera view that the Red Sox have that wasn't the one that's broadcast and they were all sitting like in the 8th 10th row or something like that behind home plate and you see these eight guys the other there's five other guys out in the park they couldn't get them all together they just all jump up and you just <laughs> like yeah so now in an bat like that you you throw up behind him does he immediately know you're trying to drill me I think that right there he thought I was taking a shot. And then, yeah. and then you throw inside twice. So he's just like getting in the box every pitch going like it's, he's going to hit me. Yeah. And then does he glaring at you? What, what is he doing? Um, after I hit him, he, he did. He stood on his bat and, you know, um, and then Joe Girardi came running out. And I, and I didn't get thrown out. I got a warning. Right. And that's where Joe got really upset because he's like he gave him four shots. And w- wasn't Joe right? Actually, I mean, should you have been thrown out? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. 100%. I did get suspended. Oh, really? Yeah, best paid five day vacation I ever got. <laughs> yeah. True story. Oh. I went to Big Sur and Malibu. And <laughs> it was great. We were playing the Dodgers. John Furrow, our manager, I said, "This is ridiculous." I get suspended for hitting a suspended guy. Yeah. He was appealing his suspension. How's this work? And then I said, they're going to make a media circus out of this. Let me just leave. I'll throw a bullpen. I'll leave. And then I'll, I'll, I'll go down and meet you on Sunday in L.A. So I went to... Um, I'm just imagining Melbourne. you at Big Sur, the most beautiful area, yeah. thinking mm-hmm. to yourself, I'm here because I hit A-Rod. That's the greatest. That's yeah. be the, what, a, what a sort of culmination of my career this is. I'm living know? right. I'm living <laughs> right. You're going to send me to my room? I'm going to make my room look however I want it to look. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the, I mean, the ultimate question is, did your brother have a successful marriage? Uh, and is it, do you think it's because of the ceremony? Hitting <laughs> A-Rod. I, th- I think so, yes. Yeah. They, uh, they are happily married still after, uh, after five years. And, uh, well, then it was worth it. And it was totally worth it, yeah. I, I, I hope this doesn't come back to bite me, but I still haven't paid the fine. <laughs> is that yeah. true? Yeah. I what was the fine? $2,500. And you just oh. never paid it. It was principal. It was just out of principal. Yeah. I had the money. I just didn't. Good for it. you. Yeah. I spent it on a place in Big Sur in Malibu. Right. Yeah. It's expensive down there. Yeah, that's, that's a nice lunch. Uh, have you in Malibu, an, yes. Have you ever talked to A-Rod about any of this? Is no, he... and that's what's crazy. Like, you would figure, I mean, I know I don't work, I, we both work in the baseball world. We've never crossed paths. Wow. Really? Yeah. So, um, I'm sure he, he finds it all kind of funny. Well, also, sure. you're one of uh, 740 guys who intentionally drilled him over his <laughs> course of his yeah. career. Like, I'm sure if you told that story, he'd be like, which one are you? Which, which time was this? Yeah. Which Red Sox are you who hit me? He probably didn't even remember me. He's like, you know, yeah. Dempster. Oh, yeah. Schleider. Fashball. He, he probably remembers, he remembers the one where he, with, that led to the Veritech fight. He probably yes. remembers that one. Because they actually show that one on Sunday Night Baseball. Oh, yeah. Like, they show that all the time. Oh, yeah. And they get him to do, like, a play-by-play of it, <laughs> which is very weird. That's something he probably finds it. Now yeah. he finds it. What a weird, like, 
post-playing career renaissance that guy's had. It's, <laughs> oh, really, it's, it's al- almost almost unprecedented. Yeah, yeah. Say? I mean, nobody yeah. nobody has come back like this. I guy think has. my favorite thing out of all that post hoopla stuff that happened was walking back. I lived in the Back Bay when I was in Boston, and about two weeks after it all happened, and you know we're sitting there playing. I'm walking home from a game, and the doorman at the Hotel Commonwealth stops me and says, Ryan, here you go. And he gave me an envelope, and inside was a note with $25 to pay part of my fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a sports town. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's someone who really appreciates the Red Sox-Yankee rivalry right there. That's <laughs> oh, the greatest. All right, can you stick around for a few minutes? Yeah. We're, we're just taking, we're taking some questions. Why don't we just... Sure, we'll take a couple more questions. Then we should let Ryan go and live his life. No, no he's here now. <laughs> we got him. He's here. Why would we do that? All right. So, Joe Mexel wants to know... If you were each allowed to play one inning in today's game, what position would you choose and why? Assume your current athleticism in the field and ignore how foolish uh, you and 99.9% of the human population would look. What position uh, would you choose? So you're, cho- so you're, you get you're one playing inning. one inning. Right. It doesn't look like it. you get to hit. It looks like you just get to just play. Just get to play in the field? Yeah. And you get one inning That's a great question. in a major league game. I, uh, go ahead, Nick. You got an answer? I do. Um, I uh, traditionally I'm a third baseman, but if I only have one inning, I'm gonna <laughs> catch. Oh. Because what if what if nobody hits? You know, I want to make sure I get some action. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I think my knees could take an inning. Yeah. Um, and you're right. A, I'm wearing protective gear, and I'm ready. I'm close to jump into the fray. When invariably a fist fight breaks out. When Dempster drills a rod. That's right. <laughs> would you be able to say, like, when, if Randy Johnson was pitching, would you be able to say to uh, a younger Ryan Dempster, "Yeah, that was fast." Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, th- my, I, I, I would. You're, you're, r- I would rival Yogi Berra. Yeah, your trash talk game would be at high, in high level. Sardonic, uh, <laughs> behind the plate quippage. I think that your approach on this is the right approach because the when you when this question gets asked about professional football, everyone who's sane will say, like, I'll be a wide receiver and just run out of bounds or whatever because right. you don't want to die. <laughs> but th- So the temptation is to say, like, I'll play left field or right field and avoid embarrassment. And hope, hope a ball but, never comes But away. I think the, the whole point would be if you had to play an inning in a baseball game, well, then you should play an inning in a baseball yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. You should play a position where there's a chance that a ball would be hit to you. Okay. I would play second because I, I can make the throw yeah. even at this point in my life. I can make the throw from second to first. And there's a chance that if someone hits a, it's a two-hopper, I could field a baseball and throw a guy out, and sure. that would be the whole point of doing this. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, if, if there's a double play, I'm, I'm getting wiped out. <laughs> and as a pitcher, if I'm out there and you're my battery mate and the umpire kind of screws us on a close pitch, what, what are you going to say to him to help oh. me out? So, like, I, that bo- how are you going to get me the borderline pitch? Well, first of all, he's an excellent catch. He's frame pitch framer. Pitch framing ability. He's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, you'll have a hard time throwing a ball with me behind the plate. But <laughs> what I do is I, I um, have Mike will and the entire production of Parks and Recreation will attest to the deadly array of uh, of gas bombs that I can <laughs> drop. And so I think I think I could quickly intimidate an umpire. Yeah. He's in a very bad spot. Yes, uh, just the threat alone. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll, I'll say that 
That, that looked like it was on the uh, the edge, wouldn't you say, Terry? I think that caught the corner. Would you say Would you say that your powers are more to deter, or would you are you willing to actually go nuclear if necessary? I'll go, uh, I'll go, I'll go nuclear, but my powers are actually to entertain and delight. Uh, <laughs> That's so true. Pe- people love. <laughs> You know they love a change in atmosphere. Um, um, Kabuki theaters is, is is for those of you who don't know it is is very big. It's very uh, enormous and sort of over exaggerated. You wildly gesticulate and you sort of stomp around the stage, and everything is very exaggerated. I would like to see Dempster get squeezed on a <laughs> on a ball an inch off the plate, and then you to turn around and basically go full Kabuki. What? <laughs> <laughs> You are blind. Yeah, that's how you do it, man. Yeah, Ryan, what position uh, would you have played if you had not been a pitcher? Uh, center field. You're, you were a center yeah. fielder. I would. I, I, I loved my one of my favorite things to do when I came to work every day, especially you know having four days off was shagging batting practice. Wow. Like, I didn't want to let any one of our hitters. I wanted him to earn his base hit in batting practice. <laughs> so I tried to run everything. I use it as a form of conditioning. You know, having fun with the people out in the out in the stands when you're shagging, um, and then you can't do it here, but on the road, robbing home runs and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. What Joe was saying yesterday, what, but among the many wonderful things about working as a baseball player, is you show up to your job every day and you get to play catch. Yeah. First thing, which is a wonderful way to start a day of work. I think we all should do that for our jobs. I, think, I really do. I really believe that yeah. before, like, just go out. Shag flies? Shag flies, little catch, and then go about your day. How much better would all of our days be if we could do that? I mean, I have an 11-year-old son. I do it most days. And you love it. It's great. Every minute. Yeah. But he's not going to be 11 forever. I hate to tell you this. As, as a father... <laughs> As a father, as a father of an eighteen that and a fourteen-year-old, yeah, <laughs> you can just go to other little league parks and just well, play catch with other eleven-year-olds. Hey, kids, want to play? Yeah. Kid, come here. Yeah, I've got a present for you. Are you a righty? <laughs> Christopher wants us to go through and each list off our favorite thing about Wrigley Field. Ooh. I think it's pretty oh. good, right? Because we can we see it. It's all right in front of us. Yeah. Like this. Just to remind you that we're staring at the field from the press box right T- now. Talking on real time. microphones. Uh, all right. Well, Dempster should start, right? You should start. Because this is... You could give us something inside. That would be kind of... You know, you know what? I, I love Wrigley. Um, so many things about it. I think my favorite thing, because it's extremely unique, is the scoreboard. Yeah. Um, I always tell people to play the game, you know, the, the ball strike game. You try to race Rick, uh, who works on the grounds crew. He's been doing the um, the balls and strikes. And they just recently, the past few years, changed them to fiber optic. It used to be the original, like, 1930-something, 37, 1937 uh, installation of this old box that does the ball and strikes. And you, you sit in the stands and you watch it, and then you try and get up and see if you can see the strike before he puts it up there. And it's, it's almost impossible. Wow. He's that fast. But if you've never done this, too, and you, and you get an opportunity, is to go up and watch an inning from inside the scoreboard. And oh, it wow. is, it is truly that. unique, truly special. It's, it's a really cool place to be. Um, Daryl, who runs it out there, um, it, it's, it's awesome. No, nowhere else in the big leagues has that. Not even Fenway, where you're down there. Get the best view, top of it. Climb out on top by the flags, and you can see downtown, the skyline. It's incredible. It's so great. 
so great. Yeah, good answer. All right, Nick. Well, sorry to be earnest on you, but um, my favorite thing about Wrigley Field is the people uh, that fill it. Um, it's an incredible, you know, historic ballpark. It's so charming, and, and there are so many things about it, but I'm, I'm a man of the theater, and we're nothing without our audience, and the Cubs fans uh, are a family that I've been a part of, you know, since I first heard the name Manny Trio come over <laughs> WGN, and... Um, and so last night, uh, we had these great seats down, six rows behind home plate, and just looking across the sea of blue and red and white garments, people slobbering and screaming and shaking their fists at the filthy pirates uh, as, they, <laughs> as they pegged, beamed batter after batter. I said, these are my people, and I, and I love them. There was something really weird that happened yesterday. So... Who, who was the pitcher that, that hit the two batters in a row? Holmes. Holmes. Holmes, right. So Holmes hits two batters in a row, which was crazy. And then, for like, I would say two more batters, every time he threw a ball, That's right. people booed him. <laughs> Even though the ball would be, like, outside. It didn't matter. The ball didn't have to be anywhere near. But then when he threw a strike, they were like, oh, okay. It's fine. Yeah, he went, he went to 3-0 and and was booed on every ball, and then he threw a strike, and it was like, do you cheer this, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> it was so What's weird. happening? Like he, they, he inverted, his villainy inverted the <laughs> fan experience. thought that was really strange. thought yeah. that was really strange. All right, Mike, what is your favorite thing about Wrigley Field? My favorite thing is the wells uh, in left and right, the oh, so curve great. of the wall. So as most people know, Right down the lines at Wrigley's 355, it's the deepest, as we were told yesterday, foul pole in, uh, in any park in baseball. And the wall moves out in a normal direction and then inexplicably curves inward. <laughs> and it's, uh, be, we actually were down there on the field yesterday, and we walked around and saw the well. It's very weird. It's, uh, the ivy masks a hard brick wall that is grandfathered in to MLB rules, so there's no padding or anything. Um, and then the wall takes an insane uh, inward curve so that right down the line and left is 355, and to the left field power alley, it's 368. Yeah. Uh, it's a very odd shape, and it, it, it feel, it's like this is what ballparks used to be, right? Is they were irregular and odd, and they were wedged into a neighborhood, uh, and they, they, had, they were small because the men who played the game were not Aaron Judge-sized. They were George Sizzler-sized. Uh, and, and but seeing that up close is it's the coolest part of the actual park to me. I think is that the wall does something really insane and something that no no other wall goes in like that. No, uh, fifty feet or whatever it is, forty feet down the line, uh, or forty feet in from the foul line. Um, it's very strange and cool. And I've seen it on TV since I was a kid, obviously. But to actually be down there and see the way it curves back toward the plate. Uh, is truly bizarre and wonderful. And you know what's wonderful about it is when you're on the field that you see, and you, if you watch it on TV, it's, it's harder to pick up. Even from here, it's harder to pick up. The um, warning track comes in. Yes. Where, where the wall comes in. Yeah. So so it, it, like, it kind of looks normal from where we're sitting right now behind home plate. But when you're out there, you're like, well, what? That's the so warning weird. track is a very <laughs> stupid shape. It's, <laughs> it's extremely weird. Uh, from looking at it from above, and that that corner when you're talking about it, like how it how it turns like that, there's like this blind spot. So, if you're an outfielder and you go back on that 
you know, right as it's turning and maybe the ball just goes off your glove or you come close, you can't see. So you could look down and be like, where's the ball? Right. It's in the ivy. You throw your hand. It's not in the ivy. It's actually tucked around the corner. And that's that they used to have a little grass, too, that ran along the bottom. And balls would actually go down in, in between the grass and the wall. And then, you know, a guy would sit there and turn a double into a triple because the out- outfielder couldn't find it or, you know, hit a home run or something inside the park home run because it would sit out there. As a pitcher, you're seeing a fly ball hit into that general area. And if, obviously, if it's a little bit to the right, like if you're hitting it to left field, a little bit to the right, it's a homer. And a little bit to the left, your guy can back up to the wall and catch it. Is that, what is that like? As yeah, a pitcher? in, in you know, your like, mind, you're thinking, get a little more left. Get a little, get more, a little left. more left. Yeah. 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 No, it really, it really is. It's because it's, it, you know, it does save you probably, you know, you'll see it throughout the year, probably five to ten balls that stay in the ballpark that had they been three feet to the left, they're, they're a home run. So, which, so which is very interesting and, like you said, unique because it's the only ballpark that's like that. Yeah, Normally you, you want guys to farther, pull the ball. but it's actually closer. Yeah. 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 You want them to pull the ball as sharply as they can. It's really cool. It's really, really fun. All right, my favorite part is, uh, is the ivy itself, and, and that's pretty cliche, but, but I think everybody who's seen games love the ivy, just love the thing. And the, but the thing that I find so incredible about it when you actually go to see it is you know, on, on television, it looks lush. You know, it looks like you're in Field of Dreams. You just get to fall into it and sort of disappear. It's not really that lush at all. And behind it is an incredibly hard and jagged brick wall. Uh, so somebody who, like, jumps into that ivy cannot be expected to have the ivy protect them from getting really hurt, right? I mean, they, right. They, they, it's pretty dangerous. So, so it's like a little bit of an illusion, but yet... From where we're sitting now, doesn't it look like you could just... I mean, it looks like you just go in there and, and you know, just t- t- take an afternoon and just hang out in the ivy. It has the same relationship to the concept of softness that, like, a cloud does. When you're a kid, you're <laughs> right, like, right. Oh, I could jump out of this plane and land on this cloud, and it would be, like, a nice mattress. Soft, yeah. And then when you're watching a game at Wrigley, you're like, well, it's okay. Just crash into the wall. The <laughs> ivy will stop you. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's a salad. It's a It's a... A light uh, side salad that's spread <laughs> over a brick wall. <laughs> I would like to say, though, w- one of the pleasures about sitting here in the booth uh, and doing the podcast is that we're watching the grounds crew perform all kinds of different operations, and it's really impressive. It's wonderful. Coming from an agricultural family uh, and, and uh, my mom and dad, who are prolific gardeners, I do want to point out that the ivy is actually quite lush in terms oh, of... of course. The, whoever is tending it is do, it's gorgeous yes. and it's healthy and thick but but just but not, it's, ivy. it's not pillowy but that's thing it's ivy i mean it, it but i did you know if you ever if you if you've ever tried to do something like oh i'd love to grow ivy up this wall <laughs> 90% of the people <laughs> try and fail because you have to really uh, have a green thumb and whoever's taking care of this ivy i doff my cap to their efforts oh absolutely you know, by the way, there, there is like a beautiful sort of ballet about when they're preparing the field. I always love oh, seeing that. But one of the things, and I mentioned this yesterday, you guys, one of the things that really bothers me is like they, they, they work so hard on making the uh, lines just beautiful and, yeah. and, and straight and, and, you know, rich, rich white when, at the start of the game. So you make the batter's box and you make it into this beautiful Work box. of art. Work of art. It's just gorgeous. <laughs> 
And the first guy comes in, just kicks the heck out of the back of that box, turns it into nothing. I'd get mad every single day. I would oh. get mad. The pitcher's mound, too. Yeah. You know, they'll make it, it'll just be pristine. <laughs> There'll be like, you know, like a nice little like, like logo on the back yep. of it. You know, it looks like you can eat off it. And the first starter goes out there and digs a pothole. Just, just like, the yeah, out of that thing. I need, I need my foot to be right here. And they just <laughs> kick away. I need a place for my tobacco juice to puddle. Yes. <laughs> so that's excellent. So any more questions or are we? Uh, yeah, we, we've got a couple more, but they're not real. Well, all right, I'll just throw it. Here we go. Uh, All right, last, let's say last question. Well, let's go to the last question. Let me see if I can find it. We talked for two hours yesterday. I'm trying to keep this <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not to a reasonable that. 135. All right, you know what? I'm just going to go with this question because it's sort of a baseball history question. That would be kind of fun. So there's a thing that, that, uh, that came up on Twitter and socially inspired by this ridiculous podcast, which is really bad, but, but they did anyway. It's called the Golden Hall of Fame, and they were trying to come up with the the – sort of the players who everybody would think belong in the Hall of Fame rather okay. than the 150 or so that most people don't even know are in the Hall of Fame. So they said, which of these center fielders is the best all-around player? So you get to choose between one of these four. Right now in the Golden Hall of Fame are Willie Mays, obviously. Ty Cobb, best racist ever. Um, <laughs> by the way, we talked about this, right? There's sort of a re building, refashioning of the, of the reputation of Ty Cobb, right? There have been yeah. like a couple of books lately that show he wasn't, like you, they, they're yeah, saying he Steve, hated it. Steve Bannon had that book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, more like, it was more like, yeah, he was a racist, but he hated everybody kind of thing. Hey, he's just a grumpy guy. Just a grumpy guy. He, but he was a pretty good ball player for a white he, guy. He was, mm-hmm. he was a pretty good ball player for a white guy. Sharpened his spikes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 But, they, but like they all did, and like they didn't. You talk about like the nice things he did. I don't know. They're just they're trying to rebuild his, his uh, legacy. All right, uh, Mickey Mantle obviously. Mike Trout is already in the Golden Hall of Fame as he sure. should be. Uh, Ken Griffey, Joe DiMaggio, and Tris Speaker, uh, who by the way, Tris Speaker nobody really call, thinks much about Tris Speaker anymore, but Tris Speaker gets a a, a nice pass uh, considering I believe Tris Speaker was a member of the KKK. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Ty, like Ty Cobb. That's like, three strikeouts yeah. in a game, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that ever happened. I don't all know. swinging, Tris, all swinging, Tris, all swinging. Yeah, Tris, Tris, yeah. Tris Speaker struck out like nineteen times per season, so he probably never did <laughs> have I'm one of those. Stealing that joke so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Here are the four uh, others that they're asking who belongs in the Golden Hall of Fame. Okay, Kenny Lofton of recent vintage, uh, excellent, excellent player, fielder. Uh, stole a lot of bases. Great player. Duke Snyder, legendary Brooklyn Dodgers uh, center fielder and uh, terrific player. And, and sort of got included in that whole Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle thing when that song, Willie, Mickey, and the Duke, came out. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure he belonged to that. He was, he was sort of the Ringo of that song. Right? <laughs> I mean, Sometimes all it takes is a good rhyming name <laughs> to yes. land yourself in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Larry Doby, the first African American player in the American League, and a fantastic, uh, fantastic player, one of the uh, two or three best players of the '50s, probably in the American League, and uh, then the legendary Negro League center fielder Oscar Charleston, who my friend Buck O'Neill said was the greatest baseball player he ever saw. So these are your four that you can enter into the Golden Hall of Fame, or you can enter none, but you probably want to vote for one of them. So. Who are you voting for? I mean, of those, I'm going. I'm going to trust Buck O'Neill on this. <laughs> uh, I don't think the other three 
They're not rise quite gold in the Hall of Famers, right? They don't rise to the right? level of, like, the no-doubt uh, guy, right? Terrific players. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all great, but... I like they're not they're not Mike Trout or Willie Mays, right? right. So I'm going right. to trust Buck O'Neill uh, and say Oscar Charlton. But as well, you should. Yeah. As well, you should. D- uh, was I? I forget the list. Was Bob Dernier on the list? <laughs> <laughs> Let me look. It might be hidden, but <laughs> it, was, it was four guys. I think he was fifth. You oh, can still you can still vote for him. I you know as you were going through, I thought I don't know enough. Uh, I don't know enough about these players to have a solid opinion. I wish some. I wish Buck O'Neill was here to weigh in. Well, boy, I do too. And then uh, you got to Oscar Charleston, and so I'm with Mike. I'm going to take Buck's word for it. And chances are, anybody that they say was the greatest from that league was probably yeah. ten times better <laughs> than anybody playing. I mean, what his his actual line is: people would always come up to him and say he was the greatest player ever. And he would say the greatest major league player I ever saw was Willie Mays. Right. But the greatest player I ever saw was Oscar Charleston. Well. So that's. That's good enough for me. Good enough for me, I think. What yeah, do you think? I'll, I'll concur with all of you guys. You know, when, when somebody of Buck O'Neill's stature and the amount of players that he saw for him to say that about somebody makes me a little jealous and envious that I never got to see him. Play. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Guy, the guy who discovered Ernie Banks. Yeah, uh, we'll take his pick. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so. I, one of my favorite things about Bach, the story that he would tell, you tell it over and over again, was that the three times in his life he heard a different sound on a baseball field, like something that he had never heard uh, any other time. The first time he was a kid and he was at a baseball game. He, he was like a spring training game. He was behind the wall and he heard the sound. Then he kind of climbed on a ladder and it was Babe Ruth swing in the bat. The second time he heard it, he was playing in, in a game uh, before the game started and he was you know, getting dressed. He heard the sound and he ran out in the field and it was Josh Gibson. <laughs> and the third time he heard it, he was a uh, scout for the Royals. He was in his 70s, late 70s by then. Uh, I guess 70s. Uh, and he heard the sound and it was Bo Jackson. So wow. to live a life like that, where you've seen Babe Ruth, you know, Josh Gibson, Satchel Page, Willie Mays, uh, you've, you've seen a few things. So, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Oscar Charleston as well. Um, before we wrap this up, I have a Triz Speaker KKK update. Oh, let's let's get it. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> we, it how do we not have music for that? Yeah. <laughs> Nick, do you want to sing a song for the podcast Triz Speaker KKK Association update? Fill us in on the Triz Speaker KKK update. <laughs> in, thank you. In 2008, Marvin Miller, the former director of the Players Union. Who can't get in the Hall of Fame yet. Uh, right. Uh, he was defending Piazza against steroid claims. Okay. And he said uh, that uh, he was basically like, he should still get in the Hall of Fame. And he made the argument that the Hall of Fame already has various unsavory people in it. Uh, and said that Tris Speaker should be removed from the Hall of Fame because allegedly he was in the KKK. First of all, amazing false equivalency. <laughs> like uh, that is a Hall of Fame false equivalency yeah. to say. So hey, what if Piazza hey. did steroids? <laughs> Tris Speaker was in the KKK. Hey, I mean that's wonderful. Marvin Miller doesn't change the game by playing it fair. That's I right. Mean, let's be honest. Uh, so he mentions in this uh, whatever this discussion was, Tris Speaker Cap Anson, and he says some people suspect Ty Cobb as well. Uh, Miller's comment, uh, according to Wikipedia, about Anson has no basis other than the fact that he was just wildly speculating <laughs> that he could have been a Klansman <laughs> since he was a racist during his playing career, which ended in 1897. Right. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, so then 
there's a, a biographer named Charles Alexander who wrote uh, biographies of Trish Speaker and Ty Cobb and Rogers Hornsby and people like that. And he told a fellow baseball author, Marty Appel, uh, that uh, that it's possible that Speaker Cobb and Hornsby were briefly in the Klan because the Klan was very strong in Texas, where they were all from, and they went all out and recruiting people and stuff. But there's no actual uh, data that says that they were. All right. Well, let's let's not. And that has been your podcast, <laughs> Triz Speaker KKK update. There you have it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, have you watched him in the KKK? Well, he, you know, look, he was a oh, he was born in Hubbard, Texas, in 1888. I'm sure that there was some unsavory stuff about his worldview. He also had some gambling thing like late in his career. Great. So, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff with Triz Speaker. Nobody cares though. That's what I'm saying. Ty Cobb. Everybody sort of just put Ty Cobb like every well, bad thing is Ty Cobb. But Field of Dreams also did a lot for that, right? Because there's the line when he says, none of us could stand the son of a right, bitch when he was right. alive, so we told him to stick it. Yeah. So uh, so I think that like that sort of solidified the idea yeah. that he was the, mm. a bad dude. Was Tris Speaker on the field in, in Field of Dreams? What do you think? I don't remember. Oh. Like, then we wouldn't know. They, they didn't list off all the players. They list off a bunch at one point. When Moonlight yes. Graham shows up, he names yeah. a bunch. But it I was don't like think Mel Ott was one yeah, of the people. Yeah, like, which Mel was Ott. weird, yeah. <laughs> I don't think uh, Triz Speaker's in that list, but no, you know, was, you, you know why he was at a Clan rally. That's why. That's why. <laughs> you, you, he couldn't make it. You know who else wasn't on that field? Oscar Charleston. That's, that's, right. that's who, was, that's <laughs> that's who right. wasn't on that field. Among others. <laughs> Among others. Yeah, we'll get into that later. Triz Speaker re- refused to go to Iowa uh, in general, I believe. <laughs> what? Why? Why did he do that, uh, Nick? It was too far north of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> I can only assume. <laughs> All right. So, are we going to do? Uh, are we going to do one last meaningless thing? Sure. I, mean, I think why we not? need to do why a not? one last meaningless thing. Nick. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's one last. I know. I always start too low. Do you want a prompt? Yeah. Do you want a? Do you want an audio prompt? No, do you have an audio prompt? I got it. Uh, Bob sent it to us. Oh, he did. I, th- I think I got it. Let me try. Right. It's one last meaningless thing to thank you to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael. No diet coke for Joe. The podcast. Whoa. Meaningless thing from the chair of Harry Carey looking at the field <laughs> before Wrigley's anti-penultimate game. Do we even need to do meaningless thing after that? I don't that? know if we do. That could <laughs> that that'd be the meaningless thing. That could be the meaningless thing, that, is that the, song. That is know. the single most meaningless thing I've I ever I say seen. we just ended with that. <laughs> but, by the way, I did not do this yesterday, so I need to do this. The song written and performed by Jesse Barber. Because I've been saying right. how that was like, you know, because we, we have uh, David Von Kampen as our musical director. But right. uh, before David Van Kampen ever came along, Jesse Barber gave us that beautiful song. That many people say they only listen to the podcast for that song. Interesting. Which is... It's obviously effective. I mean, it literally is stuck in my head. <laughs> um, I wanna, we should end this. I want to ask Ryan Dempster one more question. Well, we do have to do our meaningless things. Oh, I thought we were, I thought we were ending it with just Nick's song. <laughs> I'm serious. I'll let I, that count as my meaningless thing. <laughs> All right, if he's going to do that... My meaningless thing will be that I think Nick did a great job singing the song. <laughs> um, I did have one meaningless thing. Go ahead. Not, and, and then, then I'll and ask then one more question. Final question to Ryan. Uh, we brought this up yesterday, and I, I think we should come up with a list of these things. When... Um, uh, 
the Cubs pitcher got thrown out of the game yesterday. They brought in uh, you know, a reliever to finish off the game. And our, our dear friend Bob Borwald mentioned, rightfully so, that it is at that point legally required mm-hmm. to say, uh, you know, he can pitch, he, he can warm up as long as he wants. Yeah, he gets as long as he wants. He gets as many pitches as he wants to warm up, right? Yeah. Like, that's a lead, like case every of an announcer. Injury or, or a toss out. Right. So, and say. every announcer has to say that. And I think we ought to think up all of the great things that happen in sports that are like that. Like, for, like for example, every time a, a uh, quarterback backs out and calls timeout, it is legally required to say he didn't like what he, he saw. He didn't like what he saw. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so so, so I, I think that there, and I think there are many things in sports like that. I think we need to spend. Didn't we draft those though? Didn't we? Dra- uh, we've had this discussion before. I think we drafted those ones. We drafted like I dumb think we things. Did. <laughs> yeah, cliches, sports cliches. I think we did sports cliches, but this is a little different. This is more like every single time something happens, you have to say this. All right. It's a vet slicing like it, the like in, ho- in hockey, like in hockey, after every win, they yes. uh, they do an interview and they ask the guys and they legally have to say like, you know, this was just a good win for the team. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, they that, always like, say that. They yeah. always say yeah. that. Like you have to say that. Uh, but there are there are numerous hockey things as well. I think there are, in every sport there are things that like something will happen. Like in the NFL, it used to be if a if a receiver they don't do this anymore because it, the league has gotten so violent. But it used to be if a receiver went over the middle, like a rookie, and he would get clocked, the announcer would have to say, Welcome, Welcome to, to the to NFL. The NFL. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do that anymore. Welcome no. to, now it's more like uh, uh, he's in concussion it's protocol. It's more like, uh, we, uh, we're going to go to a commercial. <laughs> uh, we'll be back in a bit. Um, yeah, well, we should come up with a list. We're going to come up with a list. That's, um, it's really a, it's a meaningless request. All right, to wrap this up, one final question to Ryan Dempster. You're the second former professional athlete we've had on this podcast. The first is friend of the podcast, Joe, uh, Brandon McCarthy. Straight up, he's not here, you are. Straight up, who had a better career, you or Brandon McCarthy? Ooh, good question. It's not I a did. good question. It's obvious. <laughs> yeah. He's extremely, uh, extremely funny guy. Very witty, very funny. Yeah. Um, we actually uh, shared the same agent. Is that right? Yeah. Who was your agent? Craig Landis. Okay. Son of Jim Landis, former White Sox center fielder. Sure. All right. Yeah. Did you know that Brandon McCarthy has the single worst musical taste of any human being? No. <laughs> what is he like? Like, is he oh, into like Yanni or Kenny G or? Well, worse. he does like those, worse. but even yeah. worse. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, his favorite. G? His favorite Christmas song is uh, that Trans Siberian Orchestra. He loves Trans Siberian. Uh, whatever that. Uh, In all ways. Yeah. yeah. He, he's just. He's got Christmas taste. in Sarajevo. Christmas in Sarajevo. Christmas thank you. Christmas in Sarajevo. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think yeah. when you heard that, Nick? By the way, when you first heard that, I you know I uh, uh, you are you are a big believer. You like what you like. I'm a weirdo, yeah, and everyone gets to like what they like, except and for it, that. You're that's not an allowed exception, to like that. Though. I think that's an exception. Y- yeah, I mean, I heard the song and and I said this is one of the worst meals <laughs> my ears have ever been asked to consume, but it made me like Brandon and his obstinacy. Yes, because he, he's he, still sticking with. He that. won't budge, and I like that about him. Yes. Well. This has been absurd. This whole weekend has been absurd. One more time, we should thank Bob Vorwald and Max Berman. Amen. For uh, making this for happen. Making this, possible. this is impossible. Uh, we'd like to apologize to everyone listening for sitting through three and a half hours of this <laughs> nonsense. Um, but this has been a truly uh, absurd and special weekend. It's so been thank amazing. You to, thank you to everyone for uh, making this happen. And thank you, Ryan Dempster. 
for Thank joining us. Thank you guys us. for having Thank me, you, Ryan. Yeah. And good luck with the pleasure. talk show, September 28th in Boston. I appreciate um, that. At the Paramount, what's it called? The Paramount Center. Paramount Center. Uh, so to go check out his talk show, special guests, fun times, former Red Sox, Mike O'Malley. Mike O'Malley, by the way, the uh, co-star of the, the Good Place. He's yes. been on many yeah. episodes of the Good Place. To just to tie this together for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, as we leave, because we are going to actually go, we are doing this before the game, before Sunday's game between the Cubs and the Pirates. Let's just call it right now. We know there might we might see a fight. Sure. And the wind's blowing out. The wind's blowing out. The wind out. is blowing out. We might see 10 home runs let's, today. Let's turn some columns green. What do you say, boys? <laughs> <laughs> Nick, thank you. Thank you. As Michael, as always, thank you. Thanks for having me.